just to recap, Advent is defined as the arrival of a noble person, noble, notable person, thing, or event. It is the first season in the Christian church year leading up to Christmas and including the four preceding Sundays, the coming or second coming of Christ, a season of expectancy and preparation. You know, sometimes I feel like it's necessary to remind ourselves that the Bible is a history of the relationship between God and man. It is filled with people who struggle, who sin, curse, or run away from their purpose and resist his love. If you ever feel bad about your life, just go read the Bible because there are plenty of relatable people there. They are more than just characters. They are people who've gone through paths that at one point we will cross one day. People nowadays always want to make their own stories, but they fail to realize that someone has already made the template. We are not the first to do things, to think a certain type of way, to create or invent things, because someone has already been there and done that. I think that it's beautiful that the Bible reminds us that we are not alone in our walks. And I think that the intertwined stories of Joseph and Herod are great examples of this. When I first looked at these two, I thought of a social media profile to sum them up. Joseph, hometown, Bethlehem, current city, Nazareth, birthday, no comment. Job, carpenter. Relationship status, complicated. <laughs> Mental state, resigned. Most remembered for taking a leap of faith. Herod, hometown, Edom. Current city, Judah. Birthday, 73 BC. Job, appointed monarch. Relationship status, polyamorous. Mental state, needs to be diagnosed. <laughs> Most remembered for Genocide. Today, I will be coming from Matthew 1 and 18 through 2 and 18 in the message. I'll give you a moment. We good? Okay. 18. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph, sharing but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. God's angel spoke in that the dream, Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Jo Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus, God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel, Hebrew for God is with us. Then Joseph woke up. He did exactly what God's angel commanded in the dream. He married Mary. But he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby. He named the baby Jesus. Chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we 
find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews. We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We were on a pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified, and not, on, not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all of the high priests and religion scholars of, in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micaiah wrote, wrote it plainly, it is you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land no longer bringing up in the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd, rule my people, my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east. Pretending to be as devout as they were, he got them to tell him where exactly the birth announcement star appeared. They to then told him the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, go find this child, leave no stone unturned, as soon as you find him, send word, and I'll join you, once, join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. They opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route, leaving the territory without being seen and returned to their own country. After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream, commanded, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother under the cover of darkness. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. The Egyptian exile fulfilled that Hose what Hosea had preached. Uh, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years old and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. He determined that age from the information he gotten from the scholars. That's when Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled, a sound heard in Ramah, weeping in such lament, Rachel weeping for her children, Rachel refusing all solace, her children gone, dead, and buried. If we take a closer look at the two, we can understand what shapes them to make their future choices. Joseph was a respected man, a direct descendant of David, can be described as a man of meager means, but was a skilled carpenter. He was betrothed, which is an arranged, arranged marriage of sorts, which during this time period, before the official marrying, all the following rules applied. No one-on-one -on -one time and no infidelity. If a girl was found to be having an affair, he could break the engagement, which is the equivalent of a divorce. He could be like any other guy and turn away Mary and avoid the mess with her. Herod was a bit more famous in the history book, so there's a little bit more detail. We all know Herod, or also known as Herod the Great by historians, was the Roman appointed king of Judea. But do we know how? Julius Caesar liked his family, 
and appointed Herod's father as the role of procurator of Judea. He was appointed as governor of Galilee and then later tetrarch of Galilee after invasion of Palestine by the Parthians, which were a political and cultural power group back then that had conflicts with Romans. He, Herod fled to Rome and then somehow was nominated as king of Judea. He had always been in conflict with the Pharisees because they regarded him as a stranger to the Jewish community, basically a coon. He was always trying to win the favor of his Jewish brothers and sisters, helping develop synagogues, giving a period of remitted taxes, and restoring the Temple of Jerusalem. Their stories affect their answers to the key questions I asked myself while preparing. What were the problems or realities they faced? How does Joseph and Herod confront them? What were the consequences of their action? How is God in the midst of it all? And how does it relate to us? Well, with the problems they face, Joseph was respected and honorable, and his fiance is by all means an extension of him. Herod wanted to be king of Judea, recognized and accepted by the community he wanted a true place in, and the possibility of Jesus' birth threatened all that he'd been working towards. They confront these issues with Joseph using his head before he was asked to use his faith. Unlike some people of my generation who like to post their and their significant other's business when they get emotional, he decided to take the high road and send her away quietly. Herod decided to snuff out the competition. What were the consequences of their actions? Well, poor Joseph, he had every right to be frustrated, angry, confused, hurt, and it's what he does in spite of his feelings that makes him remembered as being a righteous man. He listens. Herod sends a starry-eyed search party to find the very being he knew he could never measure up to. He later signs a warrant enacting a genocide, destroying all his work. He resists. How is God in the midst of it all? Well, the clue of God's presence is the choice of changing the environment that surrounds us. Joseph had the choice of jo Joseph had the choice of ghosting on Mary or fathering the child of God knows who. Literally. Oh, okay. <laughs> because Joseph listened, he got to be a part of Jesus' life. He was able to shape the man that Jesus became. He influenced the biggest influencer there ever was in history. Herod had the chance of learning to let go of power, unlike his Roman patrons, and usher in a new age. Instead, he held to his dominion, but like a palm full of sand, everything eventually slipped away. With this story, and even every day, it reminded me how easy it is to lose sight of a goal when you focus on the minor details of the bigger picture, when there's a bigger story at hand. Joseph prepares for a long term, the effects of Jesus' birth, while Herod focused on the immediate threat, and we see where it got them both. We can get caught up in our own problems, which is currently probably, probably buying gifts for people we may not actually like, trying to donate the guild away at the Salvation Army, and dreading the up-and-coming family dinner. Advent is about setting up the scene for Jesus and awaiting his arrival. So why are we so focused on ourselves? But on the flip side, why is this the only time we choose to not focus on ourselves since it's the season of giving? 
Jesus' arrival was God's confrontation with the issues in our world. And if we call ourselves Christians or little Christ, shouldn't our spirit carry the same change? Shouldn't we always be working to working in our communities, advocating and speaking for the voiceless? Shouldn't we be a catalyst to the political and social changes in our world? Jesus did it. Think of it this way. If we are supposed to be walking in his footsteps, shouldn't the path we take be more worn and the issues we run over crack under the pressure of our feet? The sick environments we go into erode as we crush mountains into molehills and molehills into dust. We have so many opportunities every day to make a difference. Jesus hadn't been born, even been born yet. There was a shift to make way for his presence. How does this relate to us? We have a choice when divine opportunities arise to go for it or to resist. Look at the doors that open when you accept the paths he makes for you. He won't leave you to fend for yourself even when it feels like you step into a wilderness. He provides, he guides, but it's always up to you to decide. If you resist, it will forever change the future paths you are able to take whether it be the time it takes for you to develop in your own gifts, to move on from experiences that have damaged you, or to have open doors, to have new open doors in your career and possible relationships. Look at Herod. He lost all his work when he fell out of favor with Augustus soon after and ultimately lost himself. There is something about surrendering one's ambitions, the allowance of being embraced into God's will that will not only develop a better environment, but a better, no, greater you. On a side note, I had recently watched a movie called The Kingsman, The Secret Service, which is a British spy movie. The main character, Eggsy, had been scouted to be interviewed for the job, and at one point was struggling to develop into the person he wanted to be and the demeanor that he needed for his job. He had asked his mentor, Harry, if he was going to teach him how to talk a certain way to be a gentleman. To this, Harry quotes Hemingway, saying, there is nothing noble about su being superior to your fellow man. True superiority is being superior, wait, true nobility is being superior to your former self. Herod had been busy trying to be the ideal of who he wanted to be, a king, superior in the eyes of his community, a leader when it wasn't his calling. Joseph humbles himself. He puts his will to the back burner to help God cook up the most radical plan there ever was, bringing the king of kings into the lowliest beginnings to later teach the nations the lesson of God's love for us, for you, no matter your background, no matter your walk in life. The choice of repentance and redemption by being a better you than you were yesterday. Joseph chose to walk in faith. And they didn't, Joseph chose to walk in faith that he didn't have the night before. And because he rose to the challenge, the opportunity that God gave him, he is always remembered for it. We all have choices to make, big or small, easy and difficult. Recognize the sign that Christ is present when there is an opportunity to change the world around you. And don't be afraid to take a step of faith because he will be with you as he has been since before you were a thought.